Welcome back to another podcast episode of Veteran Oversight Now, the official podcast of the VA Office of Inspector General. I'm your host, Fred Baker. Each month on this podcast, we'll bring you the highlights of the VAOIG's recent oversight activities and interview key stakeholders in the office's critical work for veterans. Joining us today is Steve Bracci. Steve is the Division Director of the Claims and Medical Exams Inspection Division. Uh, he has three managers, 14 benefits inspectors in various locations around the country. Uh, welcome, Steve. Thanks, Fred. Steve, your office just recently released the uh, report, Contract Medical Exam Program Limitations uh, Put Veterans at Risk for Inaccurate Claims Decisions. So I want to talk a little bit about that uh, in our findings, but, but first I want to talk uh, a little bit about you. Uh, give us a little idea who you are, where you live, uh, your family, and any hobbies. Sure. Um, I have been working with the OIG for almost 21 years. I started right after 9-11. Um, I started as an auditor in the Bedford Audit Division. And in January of 2017, my family and I moved out to Colorado to um, start up the new Claims and Medical Exams Division for the OIG's Office of Audits and Evaluations. Um, out here in Colorado, we enjoy all the outdoor activities that the state has to offer. We ski, hike, we go camping, and we ride ATVs. So we really take advantage of all the state has to offer out here. Great. And and how did you come to the VAOIG? You said you joined just after 9-11. What, what brought you uh, to the VA Office of Inspector General? Yeah, it's an interesting story. It's kind of a family business because prior to me starting with the OIG, about five years before that, my father retired from the OIG, the VA OIG. He was a senior auditor, so um, I followed in his footsteps. Oh, wow, that's interesting. So growing up when you're 12 years old, you're like, whoa, I want to be a senior auditor? <laughs> Not exactly. I, uh, I went to college and I wanted to... Um, own a, a hotel or a restaurant. So it was a bit of a career change. Um, but I did see that the benefit of working for the OIG from my father's experience. Sure. And did you have other jobs prior to uh, this one? Um, I, I pretty much started with the OIG right out of college. Um, you know, I did, I did some uh, part-time jobs to help put myself through college, but this is my first career job right out of college. Sure. And uh, you mentioned a family. Yeah, um, I'm married. I have uh, my wife, Heidi, and we have um, five children ranging from age 11 all the way up to 30. Wow. So you're not busy at all? No, not at all. <laughs> Great. All right, Steve, let's, uh, let's jump into the report and, uh, and talk a little bit about uh, uh, what you did, how you did it, and, and what you found. Sure. Um, so, so do me a favor for this and kind of set the stage because some people don't understand how we like select what our topics are for reports and, and how we go about that, that focus. So, cause, so kind of set the stage, kind of say, okay, why, why did you decide to look at this area? Maybe even include just a little bit about the, the, uh, the, the office you run, right. That might help uh, explain uh, the focus. Uh, and then, and then, and then talk about how you, how you decided to, uh, uh, to look into this area and what the approach was. Sure. So our office um, conducts independent oversight of the Veterans Benefits Administration. Um, we have a couple of main focus areas that we look at. Disability medical exams is the main one. Um, we also look at 
VBA's quality assurance processes. We've done a lot of work in that area in the last couple of years. And we look at um, specialized disability compensation claims processing. So ex an example of that is we've done um, two projects on military sexual trauma um, that have um, been pretty high profile and, and made some improvements for, for veterans. Um, as far as selecting um, projects, we just look at areas that are high risk and impact veterans the most. And medical exams is certainly one of those areas. And, and why is that? Um, medical exams are important because they provide evidence that support veterans' claims for disability compensation benefits. Um, they help determine the severity of each veteran's disabilities related to their military service. That, to me, is um, why they're most important. In addition to that, contract medical exams represent a significant investment to the VA. Um, VBA currently has 14 contracts with three vendors, um, and VA has spent nearly $6.8 billion on contract exams since the contracts were awarded in the beginning of fiscal year 2017. So, so not only does it mean a lot to the taxpayer in terms of uh, proper spending, uh, but but this could amount to to thousands of dollars annually for veterans in 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 with respect to their their uh, benefits, correct? Absolutely. So this report is really about ensuring that the veterans receive the uh, the highest quality medicals uh, exam possible, correct? That's right. High quality medical exams translate to more accurate and timely claims decisions for veterans. And, and, and what is an inaccurate claim decision? Uh, you talked a little bit about why it's important to get it right, it, it, but kind of expand on what happens if it's not accurate. Sure. So an inaccurate claim decision is a decision that was made based on incomplete or inaccurate evidence. So in this case, if um, an exam is not accurate or of high quality, then it can lead to an incorrect decision. Um, incorrect decisions can also be made based on human error. That happens if a claims processor misses something or just makes a mistake. Um, if a claim is not accurate, the veteran doesn't, doesn't receive the benefits and services they've earned and are entitled to, and that's, that's very important. Um, it can also lead to an increase in appeals as well as unnecessary rework and ultimately a waste of taxpayer money. If the exam or work has to be redone. So again, costs both the both the VA uh, and the and the uh, veteran in the end. Um, Absolutely. Can you provide kind of a scenario what veterans go through as they apply for the benefits specific to the to the medical exam and, and when a medical exam might be requested? Sure. So a veteran submits a claim to the VA. This can be done um, online. It can be done. Um, through a veteran service organization, or it can be done in paper. It can be mailed in. Um, when a complete exam, I'm, I'm sorry, when a complete application comes in, a claims processor reviews the documentation and requests additional records, such as service treatment records, military personnel records, private treatment records, things of that nature. Um, at that point, a claims processor can also request a medical exam, um, and that will show the current the current condition and the severity of that. 
Um, once all evidence is received, a claims processor reviews the evidence and makes a decision on the veteran's claim. So, so you mentioned measuring quality or looking at the quality of, of the exam and, and the accuracy. What did you look at in order to, uh, to conduct this review and how long did it take? Sure. This was a very comprehensive review. Um, the review period was January 1st through December 31st of 2020. This was the most current data available at the time of our field work. Um, we focused on the actions and the decisions taken by VBA's Medical Disability Examination Office, also known as MDEO. This is the main program office within VBA that administers and oversees the disability exam program. Um, as far as what we did, we reviewed policies, procedures, and we looked at the quality review process that was in place within MDEO. Um, to take that a step further, we looked at a sample of um, almost 200 quality reviews that were completed by MDEO to assess that process and we reviewed contract documentation because that's such a big part of this. Um, lastly, we interviewed managers and employees associated with the contracts and with the contract exam process. So like I said, it was a very comprehensive review. So a lot, of, a lot goes into this. How long does it take? How long did it take for this review from start to publication? It took a little bit um, it, it, it took over a year. I mean, it was, it was very comprehensive between doing the field work and then once we, um, once we gathered all the information, conducting our analysis and writing our report and also going through our own quality assurance process that we have to make sure that what we publish is um, accurate and understandable. So, Steve, when I read the findings, I, I found them a little conflicting. Uh, on one hand, we say they need better governance to improve and that all three vendors lacked providing some accurate exams. But then we say that the MDEO performed quality reviews correctly 95% of the time. Uh, can you explain what, what the findings were and what they mean? Yeah, that's a great question, Fred. Let me, let me see if I can clear that up. Um, like I said, we, our benefits inspectors reviewed almost 200 of the quality reviews that were completed by MDEO. The actual reviews they completed were correct. We looked at about 100 where MDEO identified errors and then 100 where they didn't identify errors. And our benefits inspectors came to the conclusion that those reviews were actually accurate. So they did a good job with that. Um, where we saw the problem was after that, after the reviews were completed. Um, Based on the quality reviews, each vendor is given an accuracy score. And what we found is that MDEO reported that the three vendors have been consistently below the 92% accuracy requirements since at least 2017. Um, and MD, MDEO did not um, use monetary disincentives that are allowed in the contract to hold vendors accountable for that. So that's the issue that we saw there. As far as so governance... So Steve, Steve, before we go on, explain that a little bit, using monetary disincentives. What does sure. that mean? So, so written into the contract is um, there are monetary incentives and disincentives to um, promote accurate exams. If um, vendors fail 
in any areas um, when it comes to accuracy of exams, timeliness of exams, or customer satisfaction, then VA has the option of applying a monetary disincentive and penalizing them for not meeting the standard. And we found that in this case, they did not do that. They've never done that. Right. So the vendors were not were not meeting the quality standard, uh, but then there was nothing. VA was doing nothing to to help ensure that they would bring it back up to standard. They were just continuing along. Is that correct? It, it, at least in that they weren't using the monetary disincentives to do so. Gotcha. Correct. Gotcha. Perfect. Okay. So go ahead. As far as governance goes, um, in addition to MDEO, VBA has two other major program offices involved with contract exams. The compensation service develops and provides procedures, guidance, um, quality assurance, and training. Um, the Office of Field Operations is responsible for management and staff at VBA's district and regional offices. So, so the Office of Field Operations oversees the claims processors out in the field. Um, we found that the governance structure is disjointed and required better coordination, communication, and monitoring. So there were two, uh, two parts of the findings that I wanted you to expand on. One was uh, wording and exam contracts limited VBA's ability to hold vendors accountable. Uh, and then you said that the MDO has not consistently shared errors or used available information to improve quality? Sure. So um, as far as the first issue goes, um, like, I, like I previously touched on, according to the contracts that were in place at the time of our review, vendors can receive monetary incentives or disincentives based on their, their performance in three categories, quality, timeliness, and veteran satisfaction. The contract wording, um, which MDEO developed with uh, a prior contracting officer, detailed how to imply the monetary incentives to encourage continuous improvement by vendors, but the contract wording was not as specific and clear for applying the monetary disincentives. Um, so we interviewed the current VA contracting officer. Um, the contracting officer did say that the um, the vendors were never awarded incentives or penalized for poor performance because the contract language was too subjective to calculate disincentive amounts, and that wording needed to be changed. So that's the first issue that we found. As far as the second issue, MDEO has not consistently shared errors or used available information to improve quality. This goes to the governance issue that I mentioned briefly. MDEO conducts quality reviews of the completed exams, but does not routinely share errors for those reviews with the Office of Field Operations. Um, and the Office of Field Operations, like I said, they oversee the claims processors in the field. And this is important because a, vet, a decision on a veteran's claim can be updated anytime, even after it's made, if new evidence is provided. So that's important to, to veterans for sure. Um, like I said, Compensation Service also had a piece in this. They have a, a multifaceted quality assurance program, and part of that does look at um, exams are covered in that quality assurance process. MDEO did not use readily available information from Compensation Services quality reviews to drive improvement. 
So, Steve, what were our recommendations and uh, how would implementing them reduce the risk of an inaccurate claim? We made four recommendations to the acting undersecretary for benefits, and they were all aimed at improving VBA's processes, governance, and accountability, and ultimately improving the quality of completed exams. The first two had to do with modifying the contracts um, to allow VBA to better hold vendors accountable. And then the third and the fourth had to do with improving the governance issues between MDEO and the other offices within VBA. If VBA implements the recommendations fully, it should result in better quality exams, which ultimately support more accurate and timely claims decisions for veterans. And how did VA respond to the recommendations? VBA generally agreed with our recommendations. The acting undersecretary concurred in principle with recommendations one and two and provided actions taken to address those recommendations, which were revised contracts. Um, VBA requested closure of those recommendations, but we, we took a look at what they provided and we still have some concerns that the changes to the contract may not address or fully address the issues that we identified. So we're going to take a more detailed look at um, those contracts and the actions taken in our follow-up process. Um, as far as recommendations three and four go, the acting undersecretary concurred with those and provided action plans to address both of them. Um, and we will monitor VBA's implementations of all four recommendations as part of our follow-up process. So you mentioned the uh, follow-up process. What, what are the next steps? What happens after this report is released? So about 90 days after the final report is published, we reach out to the department and start that follow-up process. We ask for a status update on all recommendations and any supporting um, documentation and evidence they can provide. Um, we ask whether or not they um, request closure of the recommendations or if they are continuing to take actions. And then we will do uh, part of our follow-up process is to review all of that evidence, all of that documentation. We reach out to the department sometimes for clarification to, to make sure we fully understand what they have taken. And if, if they request closure of the recommendation and we feel confident that the actions taken address the intent of our recommendations, then we will close them. Um, and for those that are not closed, we reach out every 90 days for a status update, so it's quarterly. Great. Uh, uh, Steve, is there anything I'm missing? Any big big points? No, I think you, uh, you covered it all, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about this work. Great. Well, again, we're talking with Steve Bracci, the Division Director of the Claims and Medical Exams Division, uh, Inspection Division here at the VA Office of Inspector, Inspector General. Uh, Steve, thank you very much. Thanks, Fred. And now I'll turn it over to Adam Roy for uh, this month's highlights. Take it, Adam. Thanks, Fred. Now I'll highlight some of the work the VA OIG did in May 2022. Happy to announce that we published the latest semi-annual report to Congress, which summarizes the results of VA OIG's oversight work from October 1, 2021 to March 31, 2022. During this reporting period, the OIG identified nearly $4.1 billion in monetary impact for a return on investment of $41 for every dollar spent on oversight. 
We issued 143 reports and publications on VA's programs and operations, made 397 recommendations, and conducted investigations that led to 104 arrests. As Inspector General Michael Missel said in his video introducing the SAR, which is available to view on our website, this report shows the OIG's impact in helping VA improve the benefits and services that they provide to veterans, their families, and caregivers. I also recently spoke with Inspector General Missile about the semi-annual report to Congress on a recent episode of Veteran Oversight Now, our official podcast. Go to our podcast page on our website to listen to it. And also to read the full report, go to the publication section of our website at va.gov forward slash OIG. Turning now to some recent congressional testimony, Mr. Missile testified before the Senate Veteran Affairs Committee on May 11th. This testimony focused on the challenges that VA faces in providing quality care to patients. He discussed VA's actions related to OIG's recommendations and how it would be helpful if other facilities reviewed OIG reports to see if their facilities may be facing similar issues. Dr. Julie Korowiak, our Deputy Assistant General for Healthcare Inspections, also attended the hearing, and both Mr. Missile and Dr. Korowiak responded to questions about OIG reports and findings related to facility leadership. You can find this written testimony on our website under the media tab, and we've included a link to the committee's website in the monthly highlights if you'd like to watch a recording of the hearing. Now for a few updates to investigations by our special agents. A VA OIG investigation revealed that a former Phoenix VA healthcare system employee stole property, including home furnishings, that Walmart had donated for use by homeless veterans. The defendant used a truck belonging to VA's voluntary services to pick up donated items from a Walmart distribution center. Then on numerous occasions, the defendant placed those items in his personal storage lockers instead of taking the donations to VA facilities in Phoenix. The defendant was sentenced in the District of Arizona to 16 months of supervised probation and $95,000 in restitution to VA after previously pleading guilty to theft of government property. Another investigation conducted by the VAOIG, Federal Bureau of Prisons, and the FBI resulted in a charge alleging that an incarcerated veteran sent a communication to VA in which he threatened both VA employees and the employees of a nonprofit organization. The defendant allegedly was angered after receiving a notification from VA that his financial benefits would be reduced during his incarceration. The defendant was indicted in the District of Massachusetts for the interstate transmission of a threatening communication. In another case, a benefits ins- investigation revealed that a former VA-appointed fiduciary stole over $300,000 that was intended for use by 10 different veterans that he was appointed to represent. The defendant pleaded guilty in in the District of South Carolina to theft of government funds. And finally, as a result of another multi-agency investigation, a nonprofit organization entered into a non-persecution agreement in the Western District of Missouri to forfeit over $6.9 million to the U.S. Treasury and to pay over $1 million in restitution to the state of Arkansas. This nonprofit organization contracted with VA to provide substance abuse counseling and housing services for veterans. And as a condition of this agreement, representatives of the nonprofit organization admitted that their former officers and employees conspired to embezzle funds and to bribe several elected state officials. The former officers and employees allegedly caused the nonprofit to obtain additional sources of revenue, including federal program funds through political outreach that violated both law and public policy. From 2010 to 2016, the nonprofit had revenues of approximately $837 million, including $1.7 million contributed by VA. To date, nine defendants have been indicted, nine arrested, seven convicted, and two sentenced. 
read more about these cases and some of our other cases the VAOIG investigated in the May monthly highlights available on our website. Now to some published reports we published in May. In our continuing oversight of VA's electronic health record modernization, the OIG participated in an audit led by the Department of Defense examining whether inoperability will be achieved between DOD, VA, and external healthcare providers using the Cerner Millennium Electronic Health Record, or EHR system. DOD and VA took some actions to achieve interoperability, but did not consistently migrate information into the system, develop device interfaces, or ensure users were granted access only to necessary information. Now, this was partially due to the Joint Program Office not developing a plan to achieve interoperability or actively managing the program. Report recommendations include reviewing the Program Office's actions under its charter and applicable laws, and that the Program Office should also determine what information constitutes a complete system, implement a plan for migrating legacy patient information, create medical device interfaces to directly transfer health information to the system, and implement a plan to modify system user roles to ensure access to only necessary information. Five of the seven healthcare inspections we published in May focused on the care individual patients received at specific VA medical facilities across the country. I'll highlight just one of them here. In this inspection, the OIG evaluated the adequacy of a patient's outpatient care prior to surgery and during preoperative and postoperative care. After the surgery, the patient was admitted, suffered alcohol withdrawal and declining health, and died under hospice care. In the months prior to the patient's surgery, Primary care staff failed to provide sufficient care coordination and treatment. During the patient's hospital stay, medical surgical nurses did not consistently assess the patient's alcohol withdrawal symptoms or administer medications according to the facility's protocol or according to physician's orders. In the report, the OIG made 10 recommendations. Also in May, we published six comprehensive healthcare inspection program reports covering VA facilities located in New York and New Jersey. These reports are one element of the OIG's overall efforts to ensure that our veterans receive high quality and timely VA healthcare services. The inspections are performed approximately every three years for each facility. The New York inspections focused on VA medical centers in Northport and Albany, as well as the Finger Lakes and New York Harbor healthcare systems. Another report is on the VA New Jersey healthcare system in East Orange. Lastly, one report focused on evaluation of leadership performance and oversight by Veteran Integrated Service Network 2, which covers New York and parts of New Jersey. And lastly, I want to highlight today a VA hotline case. As I explained in last month's podcast episode, the OIG's Hotline Complainant Center accepts complaints from VA employees and the general public concerning criminal activity, waste, abuse, mismanagement of VA programs and operations. Some hotline complaints result in an inspection, an audit, or a review, and the findings are published in an OIG report, whereas other hotline complaints are referred to the relevant VA facility for investigation. The hotline complaint I'll share today has to do with changes to the duress and emergency notification system at the Wichita VA Medical Center. The medical center conducted a review and found that a behavioral health provider's duress alarm failed to alert VA police when the provider hit the button nine times after a patient threatened suicide by gun in the provider's office. Although the provider's duress alarm failed, VA police were called via phone and responded. When the police arrived, the patient had already left the premise. A welfare check was conducted and the patient was found to be okay. 
The medical center has since begun transitioning to a more reliable emergency notification system that allows users to activate the duress alarm even when the user is not logged onto their computer. That's it for the May highlights. To read all of them, go to our website, va.gov forward slash OIG, and click on monthly highlights underneath the publications tab. Thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to sharing more highlights next month. This has been an official podcast of the VA Office of Inspector General. Veteran Oversight Now is produced by the Office of Communications and Public Affairs and is available at va.gov forward slash OIG. Tune in monthly to hear how the VA OIG serves veterans, their families, and caregivers through meaningful, independent oversight. Check out the website for more on the VA OIG oversight mission. Read current reports and keep up to date on the latest criminal investigations. From poor potential crimes related to VA, waste or mismanagement, potential violations of laws, rules, or regulations, or risks to patients, employees, or property to the OIG online, or call the hotline at 1-800-488-8244. If you are a veteran in crisis or concerned about one, call the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255. Press 1 and speak with a qualified responder now.